This is Katie. Katie, can you wave hi? She, she has been following me since I was up on the roof, and so she just wanted one Sunday where I'm preaching. So just in case you were all wondering, um, I just thought we should let them know. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, um, but the Charlie Brown Christmas was 1950s, right? And if you really watch that, that was about the time when they started coming out with those silver Christmas trees and those tin Christmas trees and artificial Christmas trees. We've kind of gotten away from that. Now we still, we have artificial ones, but they're green, you know. But the Charlie Brown Christmas trees in the 50s and 60s, they would have white ones or pink ones or metal ones and things like that. And they talked about then about what is the meaning of Christmas? It's like so commercialized, right? If you really watch that, it's interesting how here it is 2020 and, you know, we're still, you know, there's so much commercialized. You know, you can buy beer advent calendars. You can buy, like, it's just crazy the advent calendars you can get. And I'm just like, how is that reminding me of the birth of Christ? You know, like the real meaning of the season. Um, and really why he came was not so that we could just have presents, even though presents are lovely. And as I'm explaining it to the kids, I try to explain to them that, um, you know, it's Jesus's birthday. So the presents that he would have gotten for his birthday, he's sharing with us. And so we, we give each other gifts and it's wonderful, but there's so much more to the meanings and the traditions of what we do. And I feel like we've forgotten a lot of those. Um, I never did dismiss the children. Do we have Sunday school workers for today? We do. Okay. So all the children 12 and under are dismissed for class. We're just all over this morning, I tell you. But it was interesting. I know that the Christmas tree tradition started in Germany. And um, a lot of the different, a lot of times they were monks or priests from the Catholic Church at that time they would go into these different cultures and they would look around and they would say, be like Paul, right? Paul would say, to the Greek, I am Greek. To the Jew, I am a Jew. What was the meaning of that? I'm going to go into that culture. I'm going to understand their culture. And then from their culture, I'm going to give them some sort of understanding of Christ. So when St. Patrick went to Ireland, he's looking around and everything he sees is three-leaf clovers. So he would pluck a three-leaf clover and use that as an illustration in a sermon and say, this is a reminder to all of you that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this clover is a representation of Christ. So now, all these years later, when you think of Ireland, what do you think of? The three-leaf clover, right? Even though in northern Michigan growing up, we had three-leaf clovers in our yard. But I don't think of Michigan when I see a three-leaf clover. I think of Ireland and St. Patrick's Day, right? Because that was the saint that made that represent God. Well, in Germany, the pagan people, they would worship the oak tree. And the oak tree, and they had the goddess of fertility, and it was all these different things. And they wanted to draw their attention away from the pagan gods and onto Jesus, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the priest there went into the German country, and he cut down a pine tree, right? And he brought it in. He said, look, this is a triangle, this is a totally different shape than the oak tree. Let us, our focus come off of the oak tree. And instead, this triangle represents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And what's interesting is somebody had just recently posted on Facebook, and I thought it was interesting. They said, the act of cutting down the tree reminds us of what Christ did. He was killed, right, died, 
and then you bring that tree back into your home and you put it back to life again. You put it in some water, you put lights on it, you put all these beautiful things on it, and it can remind you that he didn't just die and never came back again. He died and he rose again. And I love that. So today, as we look at, why did he come? He came to die. But we know that he did not stay in that grave, right? We know that he rose again. So what do the scriptures say? Does the scriptures say that he came to die? You know, we know that that first candle, that prophecy candle, shows us that in the scriptures there is prophecy, right? So what is some of the prophecy? Let's look at that. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is the sign of the Messiah coming? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. I love that. So that's a prophecy. So Isaiah was written about 600 years before Christ came. And the sign would be that a virgin would come and conceive, and he would be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Don't you get that? Jesus wasn't some man that was a good man. Jesus was God himself. God came down in the form of a child, impregnated this woman, a virgin birth, because it's God. And he was with us. He walked the earth with us. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Part of God sent himself down to be with us. And the prophecies were kept telling us that God was going to be with us. That God was going to walk among us. God was going to come down and be that Messiah for us. So we see in Psalms where a lot of, there was a lot of prophecy about what would happen to him at those end days, right? It says in Psalm 22, verse 16, it says, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Verse 17 is right there. It says, you know, my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. And they divide my clothes among them. And they cast lots for my garments. What's interesting is, is the verse before it, I didn't want to get too much of the prophecy in here, but I can't help myself. Like, y'all know that my passion is the word, right? That's why I'm, right now I'm working on my master's in biblical studies. Like, I literally wish I could for an hour just read you the Bible. I could be like, let's read this, let's read this. But it says in verse 15, my mouth is dried up. And when we read what happens, it says that his mouth was dry, right? And they tried to give him some vinegar-soaked sponges. So the Psalms, these were written about a thousand years before Christ came. But yet when we read what actually happens, we see that his hands and feet were pierced. We see that they did divide out his clothing and cast lots for the clothing. We see that his mouth was dry. We see that he was put on display. Now, why could they prophesy it so accurately? Because it was God. God knew exactly what was going to happen. And he wanted the people to be told ahead of time so that when it did happen, we would recognize it. We would be able to see what happened. Now, of course, my favorite is Isaiah 53, and I've read this to you many times. It's highlighted, different colors highlighted, different ways it's been underlined. We've been here in Isaiah 53 so many times. You know, I've been told that even in some, um, you know, different places where they read the Holy Scriptures, like the Jewish temples, they'll just skip over Isaiah 53 because 
even people that are not Christians, when you read this chapter in its entirety, it's so much like, isn't that what the Christians claim happened to Jesus? Like, it's just so obvious. Um, But I'm just going to focus here on verse 5 and 4. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I love that. So many times when we think about Christmas, we just think about the little baby. Oh, he's just a little baby, right? That's all Jesus is. That's all God is. It's just this little baby. And, you know, what can a baby do for you? Nothing, right? Baby can't help me. But when we realize that he didn't stay that baby in the manger, yes, we're celebrating the day of his birth on Christmas, but we need to remember why he came. He came to grow up, to learn, to be that man. He was totally aware of why he was there and what he was going to do. And as that man, as that Savior, as God himself, he came not only for us to go to heaven when we die. Well, I've got Jesus in my heart. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But while I'm here on earth, I'm going to live hell on earth, right? That's the reality of it. I used to have people tell me, well, Mary, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. I'm like, it does? I missed that part. Show me where it says that. Well, I don't know. I'm sure it's in there. It's not in there. That is devil lying to you. You know how many different sayings that we think is God, that it's just the devil trying to get you to not ask God for help? God wants you to ask for help. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You have not because you ask not. There's so many scriptures that are saying, cry out to him. Cry out to you, him all that you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So many scriptures. And I love this because the prophecy was saying, look, he's not going to just come to save you of your sins even though that's what it means, being pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Those one-time sins and those iniquities, the habits that we struggle with, that we constantly are dealing with, all kinds of sin, right? I love that because sometimes we think he'll just forgive me of the one-time sin, but this, you know, I don't deserve forgiveness because I keep doing it again. Well, no, that's an iniquity, and he forgives you for that as well. But it says that the punishment that brought us peace was on him, And by his wounds, we are healed. See, we're not just a spiritual being. We are a spiritual being with the soul in a body. So if God is omnipotent and knows everything and wants to save you, he doesn't just save your soul and you go to heaven when you die. He saves your spirit and he saves your body as well. He doesn't just come for one part of you. Wouldn't that be, like, think about that. Like, think if my husband married me and he says, I don't, don't ever talk to me. Don't ever ask me for anything. I only married you for your body. You know, Friday night we'll have sex and that's it. I only married you for your body. I want you to show up at my parties and for family photos and look pretty and produce good-looking kids for me. And that I only married you for your body. Now, come on. Who, I mean, I'm sure there's people that have done that. But you all know me. I would be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. You, you get my late night talks. You get like, you know, when Mad Mary and Happy Mary and you get all of me, right? You get my soul. You get my emotions. You get my, you get it all. 
right? And see, God didn't come and just say, oh, I just want your soul, so I want all these souls in heaven with me when you die. You got to deal with the rest of it. No. When God came, when Jesus came, he came and he died so that way our souls would be saved, our spirits would be saved, our bodies would be healed. Like he wants all of us. But most of us just accept the salvation when we die, don't we? We just, that's, I mean, when I grew up, that's what I thought God came for. And I thought, while I'm here on earth, I'm just going to struggle. And I just pray and hope one day I'll be in heaven. But think about it. When the prayer he gave us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He literally wants us to pray every single day and ask for his will that is done in heaven to be done here on earth. He wants us to pray for heaven on earth. Well, I couldn't ask God for that. Why not? He told you to. Did you ask God to bless you today? I can't ask him to bless me. I'll ask him to bless you, Mary. He told you to ask for a blessing every single day. Well, but I, but I sinned. Well, yeah, and it's part of the prayer, right? Forgive me my sins. And then as I forgive those who trespass against me. Every day you've got to ask for forgiveness because we're all screwing up sometimes with something, right? Even if it's just in our thoughts. Don't let Satan try to convince you that you're not worthy of his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his blessings. I love how it says that the punishment that brought us peace was on him. When he was beat and whipped, he was beat and whipped so that we would have peace and that we would have healing for our body. And every time you refuse to ask him for peace, every time you refuse to ask him to bring healing to your body, you're saying, I know you did that for me, but I don't want it. Right? I mean, that'd be kind of like if I spent all day cooking, and y'all know me. I would not do that. So if I spent all day cooking, and you came over to my house, and I put a big old plate in front of you, and you didn't eat it, I'd be mad. I'd be like, I spent all day working on this. So when you came over, you'd have something to eat. Well, you know, I'd rather be hungry. I'd be like, really? You know, and here God is saying, I want to give you my peace. And he, I love how Jesus says, I give you my peace, not as the world gives, but I give you my peace. And you're like, no, thanks. I, I don't want your peace, right? I was whipped so that you could be healed. That's okay, right? Now, some of us, we don't know how to get it, right? It's like, I wish I had healing. I wish I had peace, right? And we, we have to go a little bit deeper, right? We have to get in there and let his word soak in us so we can have our bodies and our minds and our souls in a place of understanding so we can receive that and have the faith to receive it. But we have to get to a place where we understand that it's able, that we can do that, right? I mean, just think about it. When you're going to learn how to drive a car, you have to look around and be like, oh, well, they can drive, they can drive. I can learn how to do this. You have to first come to an understanding that I can do this. And then you go through a series of teachings to get to a place where you can master it. And then after a while, you know, it's like you don't trust a 16-year-old who just got their license maybe to take your infant baby, right, on a 10-hour car ride. But maybe a 50-year-old man that's been driving his whole life and you've, never, you've known him for 10 years and he's never been in a car accident, you would be like, okay, you know, or, or a mom that's in her 40s has never been. You'd be like, okay, I, I trust you to transport my infant baby, my precious cargo, right, on a long trip. 
And so just like we learn and master things practically here on earth, we learn and we master our understanding and our receiving of these gifts from God. But he wants all of us to have them. The question is, is will we even try to understand what that is and how we get it? And I always tell people, just start off by reading the Gospels. Read the book of Matthew. Read the book of Mark. If you really have a hard time accepting the fact that God loves you, read the book of John four times and underline every single time he, he expressed hope or help or love towards a person. Write it down. Come back and tell me. You know, in the book of John, Mary, Jesus said, I love you 5,000 times. It's not that many times. The book's not that long, but maybe 50 times, right? Or did you know, Mary, in the book of John, there was 20 different people that he prayed for or that he helped. And I've tried, you know, telling you guys numerous times, a chapter in one of these Gospels is literally a page. It's just one page. You know, can you just read one page each day. Can you, can you get those Bible apps on your phone and let it just read it to you? It'll take maybe five minutes for a whole chapter to be read to you. You can do that while you're in the car driving. You can do that while you're in the shower. You can do that while you're sitting on the toilet, right? It doesn't take very long to listen and let God's word permeate you. So we see here in Matthew chapter 1, how not only were we told in the prophecies why Jesus was coming, but Joseph, in a dream, as he was trying to contemplate what to do about Mary now being pregnant, was also told. And it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says, After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now here, Joseph is, right? A man trying to decide what to do because the woman he's about to get married to, he just found out was pregnant. He's being told by an angel that what is in Mary is from the Holy Spirit, is part of God. God coming down and that he was coming to save people from their sins. Now, as a Jewish man, he knew that the only way you were forgiven for your sins or saved or covered was if a sacrificial lamb was killed and that blood covered what you did. So he knows about the prophecies. He's a Jewish man. He knows that this Messiah is going to come. He knows in Isaiah it says that he'll be pierced and that he will be beaten and that all these different things it talks about, if you continue reading in chapter 53, that his grave would be among the rich, you know, even though he was assigned to be with the poor. And we see, right, when we read through what happened is that he was crucified. He was supposed to go in the pauper's field, but a rich man came and took his body and put it into a, a cavern where they put the stone over it to seal it all up. And so he knows these prophecies, and he knows that if this child is the Messiah, he has literally come to be a sacrifice, and his blood would be shed. Now, normally a lamb would just die and be dead. That would be the end of it. But because he's God, he can't die. God is, will always be. And so he, his, even his physical body that God used to inhabit here on earth rose again. 
and then was able to ascend into heaven. And so Joseph was told, the prophets have told, right? So now we are in this place where even Jesus is telling others. We see it here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, where Jesus says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and that the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he knows exactly what's happening. Why? Because he's God. He knows. He knows why he came. He came to die. He came to be that sacrifice. He knows, because he's God, after three days, okay, I'm going to rise again. And he's trying to tell his disciples so that way they have some sort of understanding. They still didn't get it. I mean, even as he's being crucified, right? They're freaking out. They're running. They're, and the third day when the women came and said, we went to go prepare his body. Well, we'll see that. They're still like, what? They're, even though he's told them, right? It's like, seriously, guys, the prophets told you. Mary and Joseph, you know, the family, the brothers, they, they've, they've been told. Jesus is telling you, and you're still not getting it. I love how that just shows us human nature. <laughs> how many times, Mary, will you get up and say, God loves you, and that we should read your Bible? I'll do it again and again and again and again. Because some of y'all didn't get it the first time, right? <laughs> if I were to do a survey and say, okay, for the last three months, I've been telling you to read your Bible. Did anybody read your Bible this week? You know, it's like... Uh, we don't want to see how many hands go up because some of y'all didn't do it, right? Even though that's the food that our soul and our spirit feeds on is God's word. But that's okay. You come back here and you let me give it to you, right? You know, it's like sometimes we go and we eat at home and sometimes we go to a restaurant and let somebody else prepare it for us, right? So you all keep coming back to the buffet. I'll keep giving you that word. But if you get hungry between now and next Sunday... Some of y'all will be like, well, I'll just go on your YouTube page, Pastor Mary, and find one of your old sermons. That's fine. Some of us need, need it prepared by somebody else, right? Break it down and explain it. There's some old videos on there of when I used to do a Bible study. I used to actually start, like we'd start in the Gospels. I don't know by the time I started recording them if I have any of the Gospels on there. But I would, um, I think there's some audio on my blog where like, I'd be like, okay, today we're reading through Acts chapter 1. And I would read each verse and then stop and explain it. And it would take me maybe 20 minutes to read a whole chapter and explain every single thing of what's going on. What was the culture? Why did they say that? Why did they use that word? And I tell you what, that talk about feeding and getting some understanding of what's going on. That's a great way to read through the Gospels. So we have Joseph was told, Jesus is telling them, and then it finally occurs here in Mark chapter 15. I'm going to start here in verse 21. It says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alex and Rufus, was passing on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, the cross he was carrying was the cross that Jesus would be crucified on. Normally, those that were crucified would be in good physical health and could carry their cross all the way up to the hill. But because Pilate had wanted Jesus to be let off without death. He had had him beat and beat and whipped. 
And he had gone then to the Jewish leaders and said, look, 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 I've had him beat, I've had him whipped, he's at the point of death, isn't that good enough? And they said, no, crucify him. So now they have this unique situation where they have a man that's already been beaten almost to the point of death that now has to carry his cross. And so they had to have somebody else carry it for him. And that's fulfilling those prophecies, right? Because if they would have just crucified him, then he would have done that for our sins, but he never would have been beat for our peace. He never would have been whipped for our healing. And so God knew what had to happen to Jesus so for him to be the perfect sacrifice for our three-part being. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice at the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself? Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elo, elo, lama shaktoi, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone and let us see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. What a mighty day that would have been to have been there. Some of the other accounts talk about a great earthquake happening. The curtain would have been between the holy place, which would have been the main part of the building, the sanctuary and the temple, and then the most holy place where they had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant held God's Holy Spirit, his holy presence. When they dedicated the temple, they had different ones come in and and anoint the place and bring in the gold fixtures and the priests came in. But it wasn't until the worshipers came in and it said that God's presence filled the place so thick that you couldn't see. They had to stop what they were doing because it was like a fog through there. It was like a physical representation of God's Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, he kept telling them, I must go so the Holy Spirit will come to all of you. Now, they understand this. They're thinking, well, the Holy Spirit has come to us. It's, it's in the temple. It's, it's, in the, it's in the Ark of the Covenant. It's in the most holy place. But as soon as Jesus let off his breath, 
Then all of a sudden that curtain ripped and the Holy Spirit left there. Now the Holy Spirit is there among them. And so here the people are experiencing this. The prophecies told us this God would come down in person and be here with us. Joseph and Mary were told, Jesus told his disciples, here he is, he has died, and God's Holy Spirit has left the temple and is now out. And yet, still, the disciples didn't quite get it. We see it finally end here with him coming to life in Luke chapter 24. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I wonder if Corolla, who makes the crayons, the marker companies, if they could make a color that looks like lightning. I think that's possible. I mean, just to be in the presence of angels, to be in the presence of that, you know. Here they were. They have two men that were suddenly appeared in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. They were told, but until they were reminded, it didn't come to their mind. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, like in the morning, you think, I got to go to the store and I got to buy milk. And after work, you get to the store and you're like, why did I come in here? Right? Right? And if you do what I do, I figure I'll just walk my normal route, and then when I see it, I'll be reminded. And I walk, and I walk, and I walk, and then all of a sudden I go past the milk station. I'm like, oh, that's right, I needed milk. Why? We need things to remind us. They needed to be reminded. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene. Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. What do you mean? We saw his body being put in the tomb. What do you mean he rose again? Seemed like nonsense, but that doesn't mean it is. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by the side, by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What's lovely is when he shows up in the locked room, you know, and he's like, put your fingers in my hands and see, you know. And then when he, find, he was there 40 days, which that's, that's a whole lesson in and of itself, you know, 40 days, time of completion. Um, Noah was in the ark. It rained 40 days. There's a lot of different things with 40. But, uh, and then at the end of the 40 days, they all had gathered to hear him preach one last time. Well, they didn't know it was the last time at the time, but they all came. There was over 500 of them that were there and watched him ascend up into heavens. It's wonderful. 
Well, today we are going to take communion because as this is the last Sunday before Christmas, we have to remember that he didn't come so we could all have presents. Although presents are nice, right? I like chocolate. I've told you all that before. Just saying, right? Well, I didn't, you brought your favorite things, I'm sure, right? Some of you like certain things. But he came to be a sacrifice for us. And so when we take communion, we are reminded of what he did for us. So if we'll have the ushers um, come forward, we're going to bless the communion. And then it's all individually wrapped. And our communion table is open to anyone. The only thing you need when you take communion for it to have any meaning for you, other than to have it be a, a wafer and juice, is to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So we'll, we'll pray for that too. Father, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust you. Amen. Amen. So for some of you, maybe you've heard this message and you're like, oh, okay, so this is what Christmas is about. It's about the birth of Christ, right? It's a Christmas, Christ mass. We go back to the whole Catholic origins, right? Catholic means universal church. If everyone can just hold on to your communion and you can peel off that top part and get your wafer out and have it ready, we'll take it all together. Um, so as we celebrate the mass that reminds us of why Christ came, we cannot forget that the purpose of him coming is for us to receive that salvation. So for some of you that have never received that salvation, I want all of you just to close your eyes for a minute and let's pray. Father God, as we stand here, there may be some of us that have never accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Maybe we didn't even realize we needed one or that you loved us so much that you sent one. But I pray that right now in the hearts of everyone here, that if they are ready, that they accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And as they take this communion, they do it with hearts willing to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we see here in the Gospels, there's a, plenty of different places where it talked about that Last Supper, where he was having this last meal with the disciples, and they had wine. They had the bread. And, um, and Michael, can you, is there, if there's another one there, I did, forgot to grab one. Can you have me one? That'd be great. And so he tried to keep explaining to them. And, you know, we look in Isaiah and we see where it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. But I love how, thank you so much that when he, he gave us the symbolic reminder, a simple meal, right? We all eat every single day. Now we've, we've taken it down to a little bit of juice and a piece of bread, but this would have been done among the believers at that time when they would sit, sit down to have a meal, as they would grab the wine like they normally would, as they would grab the bread, they could say, hey, you know what? His body was crushed for our, our, us, for our side peace right? This, this is blood was shed for us to receive salvation. And so we do this in remembrance of what he did for us. 
So let's take this together. It says here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So his body was broken. It was literally broken for us. Let us take the bread. Father, as we remember how Jesus' body was broken for us, may we receive that healing that you intended for us to have because of his body being broken. May we receive that peace that he intended us to have because his body was crushed. In the name of Jesus, we receive it. Amen. Verse 27 says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we take this juice, may we remember the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and may we receive that forgiveness. Let us take the cup. Father, we thank you that Jesus' blood was shed not for a pointless reason, but for the forgiveness of our sins. Forgive us and make us whole. We thank you for your love and grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want to thank you all so much. I hope as you continue to enjoy this week before Christmas, that you not only focus on the presents and all, all the fun, which it is, but also in the sacrifice and the reason and the purpose of why Jesus came. May you all have a blessed week, and don't forget to check out the Blessing Shop before you head out. God bless.